Culture has a foundational role when uh, we are building our identity. Storytelling is pivotal to building that cultural identity. Hey there, Story Sister. Let me ask you this. Have you ever considered the possibility that you might be missing out on an entire audience for your brand or your business simply because you're hanging out in your own cultural comfort zone? If this thought has never occurred to you before, then today's interview might just be a game changer. Elizabeth Hesp is a specialist when it comes to cultural intelligence. She's also a certified coach in the areas of career transition, entrepreneurship, and leadership. So if you're wondering how your own cultural lens shapes your business and the way you move through the world, then stick around. Because today's conversation is going to shine a spotlight on the way culture weaves its way through our personal stories and has a profound impact on every aspect of our lives and business, whether or not we realize it. And be sure to stick around right to the very end of today's episode, because that's when I'm going to be sharing my top 10 takeaways from today's interview with Elizabeth. I'll also be posting those same takeaways inside our free Power Your Platform Facebook group. So I hope that you'll take a minute to join us there after the show. If you'd like to connect with the free Facebook community, just go to our show notes and you can click on the direct link. For now, let's take a closer look at the role culture plays in our own stories with Elizabeth Hesp. Welcome to Power Your Platform, the podcast for women who are building bold story brands. I'm your host and story coach, Carrie Ramsey. Each week, we'll explore big ideas about brand building and shine a spotlight on courageous women just like you who are owning their story, following their purpose, and changing the world. Whether you're a story starter, a story builder, or a story pro, this podcast is for you. I'll help you move your mindset from uncertain to unstoppable and provide you with the storytelling tools you need to make a real impact. Because we all have a story to tell, and somewhere someone is waiting to hear yours. Join us each week for inspiring interviews, aha moments, and step-by-step action plans that will provide the framework to help you create your very own purpose-driven platform. Are you with me? All right, it's time to power up. Hey there, Elizabeth, and welcome to the show. It is such an honor to have you with us today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Carrie. I'm looking forward to this and very excited. And I just want to say a big namaste to your audience. (laughs) Thank you so much. And of course, you and I have worked together on various programs at this point, serving women entrepreneurs. And now I'm so excited that the audience that is listening and gets to also have the privilege of learning from you and listening to you. So why don't you let us know a little bit about your own story and the journey that led you here to becoming a coach and a consultant? Yes, um, it's a long story. So hold on to your seat. (laughs) Um, It started way back in India. 
there are several components to uh, this journey that I've been on. And here I am today as a professional coach serving my community. Uh, so back in India, when I was growing up through my childhood, I witnessed um, the family legacy of serving um, the community. Um, and uh, we call it uh, seva. Indian word seva in Hindi and Bengali. Um, and uh, both my parents, uh, my mother served uh, the, the lesser members of the community who could not afford medical service uh, by giving free medical service. She was a licensed MBBS doctor. And my father would actually mentor um, uh, new hires who would come from the villages and work for his business. He would mentor them whether they wanted to get into business by themselves or uh, to enhance their career later on. So I, I would see people coming in and going out of the house um, being served in, in some way or the other by both my parents. And also that was present in the uh, extended family, my uncles, aunts, uh, grandparents. Uh, so that's the legacy I grew up with. Then. At the age of 15, uh, something happened. It was a singular experience and it kind of impacted me emotionally. And for some reason or the other, I made a kind of very solemn promise to my 15 year old self that someday I would help uh, make other people's lives better. I would be a change agent of some sort. It seemed a very big word then. I had not a clue as to how I would do that. Uh, later on, as I grew up, um, you know, I started to work, finished my studies, started to work um, in India, um, being a member of a minority religious community, being a Christian, there were discriminations that our family faced collectively and even I faced individually. Um, but we took it in stride and with, uh, how should I say, cultural humility and uh, tolerance, uh, we were able to glide through that and stride through that. Coming to Canada, so stepping out of India, coming to Canada, living in the Netherlands, getting married uh, to someone from a different culture, uh, and then you know entering the workforce in Canada, kind of was a very different and almost like um, it, it was a different polarity uh, from what I had experienced in India. And there was a different kind of uh, uh, discrimination of sorts that I kind of came across. This was more towards, uh, um, you know, race and my race um, and, and maybe sometimes gender. And, and when growing up in India, we have this, this, this view of the West that it is better in some way, you know, than, uh, than um, countries in the East, especially developing countries, the systems are better. And the experience though, coming to Canada kind of um, got through that in some way, and it uh, almost destabilized my outlook. So um, I would grapple with that. It was a learning process. At that time, there was not so much information as there is right now. So there was nothing to kind of guide me as to how to cope with that. So for a long time, I um, allowed this uh, external narrative to be my story. Right. Um, and, and I did not own my story. I, I let this external experience uh, kind of influence who I could be in that time and moment. Then we started a family. I became a mother and everything changed. At the same time, I lost both my parents. Mm -hmm. So coupled with this responsibility of parenting and the grief 
from the passing of my parents, the question was, what next? And I think it somehow gave me the courage to face whatever I was experiencing with an understanding of um, my own vulnerability, my own imperfections, and um, whether I believed in myself. You know, I think that was the biggest question. Do I believe in myself and, and the 15-year-old self who said, you know, I would do this and not that? Um, is a streak of stubbornness and rebelliousness in me. Um, and um, that didn't often put me in a good place back in India where, you know, it is always, um, you, you listen, you, you, you are told and you're listen, you're listening as a young person. But here in Canada, I noticed that individualism was a thing and personal freedom was respected in a certain way. And it kind of buoyed me up. And I said, I'm gonna raise my children differently. And at that time, I read this proverb, it's a Chinese proverb that you give your children deep roots, and then you teach them how to fly. That helped me, and I didn't know I was doing it, but that helped me to raise my children with questions instead of answers. Mm. So every time they would come to me, and they would ask me a question for guidance, I would try to be their Jiminy Cricket. And kind of be the guide of their conscience and ask them a question in return to the point when they went into uh, kindergarten and grade one and two, I remember my elder daughter saying, mom, why don't you just answer the question like all the other mothers do? Because <laughs> they were getting tired, right? Of finding their own answers. But I was belligerent and I stuck with it. And uh, today they have grown up to be, how should I say, uh, leaders. Uh, you know, in the parts that they have chosen. Um, they believe in themselves. They're able to stand tall and strong with their convictions. And I, I believe that they have their own Jiminy Cricket. They do not need mom as much. So I've done most of the work. <laughs> um, other, other than that, other than the parenting part, I had also been self-coaching myself. Um, and being able to do that and being able to leave jobs that were not satisfying my purpose, transition from the education that I had in the sciences to enter into uh, the professional visual arts uh, industry, the arts and design industry as an entrepreneur, and uh, being able to uh, gain that independence in, in terms of, you know, my, my professional presence, uh, it gave me hope that uh, what I was doing was not only right, but it had been possible for me. Could it be possible for others? Um, at that time, um, coaching came on the forefront for me. It also became as an industry more present in social media, in the networks that I was, you know, events that I was attending, the networks that I was a part of. And I saw the similarity between what is coaching and what I had already been doing. And push came to shove about uh, to, between 2017 and 2018, when from just understanding that I had an affinity for coaching as opposed to uh, being able to follow it as a profession, when uh, 
a chronic health issue happened and uh, some diagnosis followed and doing the strenuous work of a fine art photographer and a solopreneur was not something that could be sustainable for me. Mm. So that's also something that kind of propelled me into coaching. Mm. So interesting when you talk about the methodology that you used with your daughters and how that really is at the heart of coaching as well, this this questioning type of methodology. So today in your coaching and consulting practice, who do you serve primarily and how do you serve them? Yes. So interestingly, it has happened so that I do serve individuals who have sort of similar stories like me or experiences like myself. And it happened organically. It started um, through word of mouth and referrals. Um, I started serving individuals who had uh, expansive cultural um, experiences, who were mid-career professionals, uh, global professionals, who had relocated to Kingston, were looking at transitioning careers, uh, new immigrants, uh, you know, who were launching a new business or were retraining to find a new career, international students who were looking to not only study in Canada, but also to settle in Canada and work in Canada. And of course, diverse entrepreneurs. That's how I came to get to know about WeCan. So uh, these are the kind of clients that I've already served and I continue to serve. It is through individual one-on-one -on -one coaching, uh, some group coaching, and uh, of course, through my cultural intelligence uh, consulting and facilitation, I serve these individuals plus organizational stakeholders and organization executive and management teams. Wow. So I love that culture is at the root really of how you coach, like I said, your methodology, even as we can see the clients that are, are attracted to you. Um, what role would you say that culture plays in our personal stories? We've already heard uh, the beautiful story uh, of your own cultural background, self-discovery, and moving into this really a, a period of transition and then finding what what you want to do in life mm -hmm. what would you say is the role of culture in in the way that our story plays out culture has a foundational um role when uh, we are building our identity and um storytelling is pivotal to building that cultural identity and our personal identity. Uh, stories that we have um, uh, heard or have been told to us, stories that we have witnessed uh, or seen, stories that we have lived or have unfolded through our lived experiences, um, and stories we tell ourselves um, uh, internally and to others that we project. They are all the basis of our cultural identity. They also shape our cultural values. Way back, I remember when I was um, growing up in, in Calcutta, India, I would sit uh, summer afternoons during the school holidays with my grandmother and she would explain to me, you know, um, her story and where she grew up, which was so different from my urban, suburban lifestyle, cool kid. And to hear that my grandmother was given into marriage at age 14 and that the world was open to me at age 14, right? So what a difference. Mm. 
So those are things. Plus, when we share our stories, we create cultures of belonging. Um, when I um, had the courage to share my story and start on the entrepreneurial pathway, that's when I started feeling like I belong, believe it or not. It took wow. quite a bit of time, but you know, when I had arrived in Canada as an immigrant, and when I started feeling that cultural identity, yes, I am Canadian. Mm. So story does have a big part in our cultural identity, in establishing a cultural identity. I love that, what you just said about when you shared your story, that was what led to the belonging. And I think that that is so powerful because I've said it before, but when we do share our stories, others put their hands up and say, me too, or I can relate to that, or you know, I, I, I can, I'm a part of that same tradition in whatever way that is. So that's why I think it is so important that we speak up and not be, whether it's ashamed or embarrassed or somehow discount our story and think it's less important than someone else's, for instance, because it never is. <laughs> no. And what I saw, because um, as an individual, I'm an ambivert, leaning more towards introvertedness so uh, it does take me some effort to to uh, to say what i'm saying but once i was able to get over that and be present with that what i noticed right away and i mentioned this earlier uh, is that i was attracting the very individuals who were just like me yeah <laughs> and it was it's amazing and often my clients when i asked them especially at the very beginning when i didn't even have a business calling card no website nothing i started in 2019 i said well why me you know like <laughs> belly out there i said i want what you have mm. i yeah. want your story and that actually you know strengthened my professional presence because i became right away validated right, right. Um, and I belonged along with making others belong exactly. so it's uh, it's a it, it's it goes both ways it's a two-way yeah. process yeah well and we've already been talking about culture belonging and it leads me to this concept that I know you've talked about quite a bit uh which is cultural intelligence and I know it's a very big subject so we don't have to do all of it today but can you just sort of explain to us what cultural intelligence is, because I don't think a lot of people are familiar with the term, and it's kind of interesting to think about it in terms of what we've been speaking of today. So cultural intelligence, um, there, there are the research part of it. There is my individual experience with cultural intelligence. And then of course, there is the professional work that I do. So I'm gonna start with um, a little bit of the background research. Um, the last 50 years, um, cross-cultural research has focused on values and uh, it uh, cultural intelligence uh, came out of that work. Uh, we have the intelligent quotient, we have, emotional uh, intelligence, uh, social intelligence, and cultural intelligence is one of the criteria by which we connect with each other in multicultural context. So the correct definition of cultural intelligence is it is a capability that helps us to effectively connect with each other in diverse multicultural contexts, both domestically and internationally. Mm. Um, the research is still ongoing, 
but frameworks have been created, um, assessments have been made on how to improve your cultural intelligence, and uh, the um, uh, assessments are not an absolute measure, but it is more um, a kind of a reference to continuously improve your cultural intelligence. And, and it is more like a spiral route than a linear path. For me personally, cultural intelligence, um, I did not know the term existed, uh, but it was something I experienced back in India where every person is as diverse as can be with very multicultural backgrounds, at least in cosmopolitan areas uh, where I grew up. Um, what I noticed in spite of this uh, vast differences between um, regional uh, um, cultures, religions, uh, you know, the way things are done, the traditions, norms, everything, we were all able to, um, how should I say, um, to convey, gel with one another. We were able to uh, connect in a respectful way with one another and peace was possible, although there are sometimes uh, situations where that doesn't happen, but most of the time that was possible. And as a uh, young person, I, I, I was very observant and I always wondered what is really working here? We grew up listening to unity is diversity. That was the slogan for modern India, but what is really working where we are unified, even though we are so diverse? That uh, question remained, even when I migrated to the West and came to Canada. Um, when I lived in the Netherlands for a year and a half with my husband, um, I noticed a different kind that, um, you know, cultural intelligence was not present at the level at which it was present in India because um, communities may be more homogenous. Uh, so an effort had to be made to invite diversity into the room, invite diversity at the table. Um, and it was all great that there was this very good purpose and intention to invite diversity. But the question was, is it really working at all times? So there seemed to be a disconnect from time to time. Um, and, and this was a personal observation. And, and maybe uh, it's not just mine, maybe others may also agree with me. Um, when I was doing my collaborative arts project between 2013 and 2018, and I was looking through my own cultural lens, no pun intended, as I switched my camera lens, um, and I was working with these um, young uh, volunteer artists, the cross-cultural engagement that was happening in between them a lot of it was directed by me, yes. But then a lot of it, a large percentage was happening in situ, in the moment, without my tutelage. Mm -hmm. And there again, I saw the Indian classical Bharatanatyam dancer, Kavina, the um, classical ballet dancer, Ayla, and the classical violinist, Sophie, um, engaging in a way that was seamless. And they had been strangers before the project began. But, but what was happening? What was happening then? So the project ended, the exhibition happened, um, and I kept on doing the research. My research led me to cultural intelligence as to that being the unspoken word that helps us to connect 
effectively. The word and em emphasis is on effectively. Right. So skill and a capability, which we can continuously improve, which includes self-awareness, self-motivation, which includes planning and taking action in different yeah, cultural yeah. contexts. Well, and I love that at the heart of cultural intelligence is really connection, as you as you mentioned. It's it's something that's necessary if we're to connect in an authentic and a genuine way. So if someone's listening right now, um, you talked about opening or sorry, inviting diversity into the room, which I thought was so beautiful. If someone is listening right now, what tip might you have? Just some simple way of um, helping us to learn to better invite diversity into the room is I'm not saying it's a simple tip, but maybe a first step. Yes. What I like to explain to those I am trying to facilitate the cultural intelligence uh, assessments to or consulting with on the topic is first is awareness, awareness of self. We always start with our own cultural lens. Instead of putting it externally and focusing outwards, let's turn it inwards. During my uh, years with the camera, standing behind the camera, uh, you think we are taking an image that is externally located. But the image is as good as the photographer or artist, what he or she is thinking feeling, noticing, seeing, and most importantly, not seeing. So that said, the first step would be, if I want to invite diversity in, if I want to support diversity, if I want to uh, advocate for diversity, where am I with my cultural lens? Where am I with my cultural biases? Where am I with my implicit biases? Where am I with that which I tend to um, uh, kind of lean towards um, and move away from? So self-awareness with respect to cultural intelligence is the first step. Mm -hmm. And understanding where you are with your cultural values, that is the other step. Also to maintain, and this is ongoing, because it can wax away to maintain um, extrinsic motivation um, where I am willing to work with those who are diverse. I am open, not keeping a stereotype in mind, but kind of open to learn and intrinsic. I love to travel. I, I, I love uh, Italian food. You know, I, I love to cook uh, Asian food. You know, I, I love to wear this or do that. So extrinsic and intrinsic motivation, very important. And then to plan. If you're in a meeting and you're sitting at a table with diverse suppliers or stakeholders, try to engage before the meeting and see what you can learn about them. Not what you learn from a book, <laughs> because often it is just a basic fundamental knowledge and, and often a you know, stereotype, but individually. And, and it takes effort to do that. Um, for example, go out with a, with a colleague that you don't know too well and could be from a different culture. Go out for lunch or for a coffee. Um, you know, you get to know the person. S small efforts. And, and taking action towards that will help you to really expand 
your mm -hmm. cultural lens and support the diversity at the table, in the room, in the community, at a national level, which is which is a, gives us amazing results. That is so important, and it's something every individual yeah. can do, right? It's not something that we have to belong to any kind of a club or an association. No. What would you say, though, Elizabeth, to someone who says, but I'm afraid of offending someone. I, I spend time with people who are just like me because I'm actually afraid of offending that other group. Therefore, I, I keep to the folks that are I'm most comfortable with. What would you, what would be your response to that? Because I think it's a real fear a lot of mm -hmm. people have who tend to stick to the same homogeneous groups. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to early child, childhood, when we were not afraid to fall, fail, <laughs> get up and learn again. So uh, one thing I mentioned earlier is cultural humility. Mm -hmm. So knowing that I, and in this case myself, that I don't know everything, it's okay to come from a place of I don't know. And that in itself is a strength. Because when we propose that we know everything, there is a cause or a situation can develop that we can fail because it is not possible to know everything. We cannot always refer to the Lonely Planet Guide. <laughs> so you have to learn as you go and you have to be open to that ongoing learning. To have cultural humility is to express that I'm, I don't know, I'm willing to know, I'm willing to learn, I'm willing to ask questions and I'm willing to make the first move to do so. And whatever comes out of that, most people, and every time I have connected with someone from a different culture, I have kept my tone eager, my voice and my presence open, and uh, in fact, welcome failure of not knowing and not being able to effectively function in all diverse cultural context and seeing that vulnerability and noticing it the other party is going to welcome you open arms <laughs> never be in doubt of that yeah. because vulnerability is 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 a trait that is always welcome uh, humans identify with the underdog look at the media industry <laughs> look at the publishing industry and the story telling happens then because mm -hmm. people want to inform you so be open ask questions come from a place that i don't know and i'm willing to know i'm willing to learn i love that advice it is it's so right where we live mm -hmm. and i think that we just have to push ourselves to get outside of these comfort zones and that means actually getting up and you know visiting a place that we haven't visited before you know yeah. spending time outside of our regular uh, destinations, whatever that might look like or seem. And so thank you for the sharing that um, and for, you know, just really giving us your own story and experience. I know from personal experience that there is such a richness that comes when we allow ourselves to, you know, feel a bit foolish at times and put ourselves out there. But what we have to gain and what there is to gain is so much more than we might lose in terms of a little bit of our dignity from time to time. And, you know, and it's, it's a good chance to laugh, you know, at ourselves. And we have, you know, I just think that that's a, a beautiful um, opportunity to allow our story to intersect with someone else's story 
And that's what it's all about, really. So Elizabeth, if someone wants to learn more from you as a coach, a consultant, even about what we've been talking about today specifically, where can they go to learn more about you? So they can visit my website. Uh, it's uh, elizabethhespcoaching.com or they can Google Elizabeth Hesp or Elizabeth Hesp Coaching and Consulting. And I should come up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you will. And in fact, if someone wants to click on the show notes for this episode, we will include the direct links to your website and to any social that might be out there. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for taking this time to really, um, I think, make us feel a little bit more comfortable about this idea of stepping into the unknown for some people or just strengthening our resolve to do more to uh, connect with other cultures, other groups that you know are, are a little bit different than us and, and to find really the incredible richness that is there. So thank you so much for spending your time with us this afternoon. It was my pleasure and thank you for having me, Kerry. There is such a richness and a depth to Elizabeth's knowledge and training that I could have talked with her all day. I hope you enjoyed listening in on the conversation and that her unique insights and experiences inspired you as much as they did me. To learn more about Elizabeth's work, be sure to visit elizabethhespcoaching.com or you can click on the show notes for the direct link. As promised, here are my top 10 takeaways from today's interview with Elizabeth. Number one, culture plays a foundational role in the building of our own identity as individuals and as businesses. Number two, storytelling is pivotal to building our cultural and personal identity. Number three, when we share our stories, we create cultures of belonging wherever we go. Number four, your vibe attracts your tribe, so don't be afraid to be yourself. Number five, turn your cultural lens inwards and recognize how your own biases and perspectives consistently shape your outlook on the world. Number six, self-awareness is the first step towards embracing cultural intelligence. Number seven, when we're open to learning, we invite diversity into the room. Number eight, we need to be ready to ask questions and say, I don't know, when stepping into new cultural situations. Number nine, vulnerability is always a welcome trait when you're exploring a new culture. And number 10, we need to push ourselves outside of our comfort zone in order to forge new cultural experiences and lasting relationships. Thanks so much for listening in to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, feel free to take a screenshot and share this episode to your own social media feed. And when you do, be sure to tag Power Your Platform. We would love to share your key takeaways with our audience. Until next time, keep owning your story, following your purpose, and raising your voice. Because the world is waiting to hear your story. <laughs>